Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to episode three of Game Store Profits, the show where geek culture and god culture collide and stuff happens. I'm Luke. <laughs> and I'm Mike. How you doing today, Mike? How how go your geeky pursuits these days? Oh my goodness, my geeky pursuits involve trying to wrestle time away from all the other responsibilities of my existence to create stories about clockwork men and, you know, craziness in late 1800s Manhattan. Uh, an <laughs> admirable goal. Set aside like said, all responsibilities and create stories about automatons. That, I'm down with that. You know, it's it's kind of, it's it's a passion. It's something that, you know, I started writing, for those of you who don't know, I, I started my internet presence as uh, a guy who wrote a episodic little adventure called Tinker. And it, it actually got a pretty decent following. Probably if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you probably heard me on Tinker. And it started out as just a little hobby. I It was actually an experiment. I had always wondered about episodic writing because a lot of my literary heroes started out writing little episodes and then they turned into truly epic books like The Lord of the Rings. And so I decided I was going to start that as a little bit of a, an experiment and how that works and, and the pros and cons of that writing style. Before you knew it, I had been writing a year and had created all these cool little characters and people seemed to like them. And now I'm working on a book. And the pro the progress is slow because this is one of many little projects, you know, outside of uh -huh. the perennial geek problem. <laughs> many little projects of, outside of the day job. This is another project that I have sitting on, except you know, including you know, game store profits and all the other fun things that I do with my time. Uh, but yeah, it, most of my free time that I can kind of scratch away that isn't taken away from uh, things like ministry and the girlfriend because I, I just want to pause a moment because my girlfriend watches this and she's amazing and she tolerates my geekiness. Uh, I, I do want to point out the perennial, you know, stereotype. Uh, we're geeks. Luke is married and has wonderful children. And I have a girlfriend. It is true that geeks can find love. Don't let anybody say that doesn't happen. Well, at least in two cases. At least in two cases, there oh, is hope. it happens in many cases. We're all lovable. We are. Geeks are amazing. But yeah, so most of my time when I, you know, take away all that other stuff has been trying to find time to write Tinker. And it's going slow, but it's going, and I'm excited about it. How about you, Luke? Uh, you know, I've been uh, so ashamed to admit this. I'm reading Harry Potter. I'm on Harry Why? Potter Why 4. Right now. Why are you ashamed of that? Because I'm like so behind, it's ridiculous. I host hey. a book review show. I should have read Harry Potter by now, but I, I do have, I think, a pretty legitimate excuse. That when Harry Potter came out, I was sort of busy reading, oh, I don't know, what, what do you think it was? My 20,000 words a year? 20,000 <laughs> pages a year? Give at or least. take at seminary? At and yeah. so I, I didn't, uh, during seminary, I had a particularly nasty dry spell when it came to fiction. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm reading Harry Potter. I'm on book four. I'd have to try to spread it out so that I can get the uh, guys can read books in as well. Also, I've been playing a ton of video games. Nice. Uh, also, video games I'm really, really behind on. Um, well, at least in the case of Darksiders. 
and been enjoying that playing through. I uh, was trying to to get it done before vacation starts tomorrow, but not going to happen. So that's all right. I'll have to just think about war uh, taking out all of the powers of heaven and hell during my vacation. And then a couple other games that actually one I wanted to talk to you about, Mike, I'm interested to see if maybe you've tried it out. Civ World on Facebook. I've seen it. I try to avoid the Facebook games because they suck your existence away. But uh, I have seen the advertisements for it. I haven't actually clicked on it and tried it. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I, 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 I can't even describe to you my love for civilization. Okay, well, I, I, mean, I can close my eyes right now and accurately picture the screen from Civ 1. Well, I still this... have my discs for every single version of Civilization up until this point. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I let myself believe that somehow when they turned it into a Facebook game, it would still be awesome. No. It's not. No. That's, that, that is your failure right there. It's your failure to see that it's a Facebook game. Yeah, they're evil. They're evil. I, I have, however, been enjoying a social kind of a game called Glitch. And uh, if you haven't seen this yet, it, it's glitch.com. You go, and it's... It, they very ingeniously took all of the things about MMOs that hook into my brain and make me want to play and just got rid of all the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, that is crafting, that is auction house play, that is finding new recipes and doing that kind of thing. I don't know why that is like addictive for me, but it is. So you're basically looking to cut out all the adventure out of your MMO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to kill, you know, another 10 wolves that just happen to be meaner than the last set of 10 wolves that I already killed. Dude. I want to play the auction house. I want to go and I want to buy every single, I don't know, forest dwelling super snail shell on the entire server for a week and see what happens. That makes me excited. And everybody who just played WoW on my server goes, ah, he's the jerk. So, so basically, Luke, you're telling me that you're the guy in like Legend of Zelda who sits around and watches as the adventurer comes in and smashes your pots. That's me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, you know, hey, look, we talked about uh, the Old Republic. I want to play a smuggler. I want to sell yeah. weapons. <laughs> I know that we won't actually get to sell weapons in the Old Republic, but, but that's what I want to do. I want to run gigantic science fiction empires. Uh, and I, I want to control trade, and I want to jack up prices when I can, and I want to to, to throw off civil wars by the power of my military weaponry. That's what I want to do. So you Lovely. play Glitch. And make stuff. Except Glitch is all cute. So you make stuff like sandwiches. And the like. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. That's fantastic. Well, I, I, I can't really give you a hard time for playing video games, dude, because I, literally right before... Uh, we started talking tonight and started recording. I was playing a little Fable 3. Oh, so how do you like Fable 3? I love Fable 3. See, it's very your style, isn't it? The whole Fable world. Oh, I 
You know, a lot of people don't like the Fable games, and I understand every problem that people have with the Fable games. I do. They're short. They're really straightforward. It's it's there are a lot of weaknesses to it, but I have thoroughly enjoyed the stories. I love the characters. I love the world that Fable takes place in. I, I love the idea of people that are set apart to be heroes. Um, and the fact that we're dealing with a very industrial age of Albion right now, it just makes me all sorts of giddy. You know, my favorite thing about the whole Fable series is the way the world of Albion progressed through an economic social progression as the games were happening. Oh, That's absolutely. Cool. That's just cool. Starts like off you... fairy tale-ish and then gets to sort of a high medieval period and then starts into a sort of Edwardian broken thing happening. It was pretty cool. And and we'll we'll wrap this up because this this episode isn't going to be about video games. It's not. We can't help we can't help it because this is what we're we're a part of right now, and I'm pretty confident if you're listening to this, you are too. But to to kind of wrap this up, I will let me sit, let me premise this. If you've not played Fable Two and you in and you want to play Fable Two, stop listening for a moment right now. Okay, the end of Fable Two is amazing. the The fact that because you get used to it, it turned role playing games on their head. It turned action games on their head. There's usually the last epic battle, that last epic struggle with the bad guy, and this one. Literally, it answers the question, why don't you just shoot the sucker right in the, in the forehead? And it's the greatest thing ever. Because you just see Reaver, this pompous jerk of a character, just pull out his pistol and shoot the bad guy in the forehead. Game over. And that still... Lots of people hated that. I spent five minutes just dying of laughter after that <laughs> happened. Yeah, you know, I hate that. It's the... Okay, I always level up Sniper. Always. Why can't I just hide behind a rock and shoot the big boss? Mm-hmm. Because that's what I would do. Oh, wow. And the, the, and the fact that Reaver shows up in, in Fable 3 as one of the maiden people, like, I'm, I'm dealing with Reaver right now as I'm back in Bowerstone, and that just makes me excited. Hmm. All right, well, let's set aside the, uh, you know, the geeking out. It's what we do. Yes. We'll, we'll stop geeking out in that And start way. geeking and out on something else. Absolutely. How about that? The yes. theme for this episode, we thought we would talk about our geeky heroes. The people whose lives inspire us to do the things that we do. And we're, we, we tried to narrow it down. We didn't want to have this. Uh, I've had a couple people say, man, your podcast is great, but it's really long. But you know what? I don't, you know, Luke and I have worked very hard for this hour long of content and we're proud of it. And we think that you, you know, will enjoy it. And it's not like we, we tried to be long. No, it just happened that way. There's just so much out there that we can talk about. And that's exactly what we're doing here. We could spend the next four days recording us geeking out about all the amazingly talented, amazingly just fantastic people out there making incredibly geeky things but we don't have that kind of time so luke and i decided going into this one that we were going to pick two 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 that's it that two geeky heroes that we would put out there as the the cream of the crop the best that we can come up with uh though there are plenty of honorable mentions shall we give a few honorable mentions 
Absolutely. Let's oh, can I start that. with the? I want to start yes. out with the honorable mention. I I went back and forth. I wanted to make this guy one of my one of my two, but there really just isn't that much to say. But I have to give an honorable mention to Vin Diesel. That's strange. Vin Diesel is this jacked action star. You know, you've seen him in all the different Fast and Furious movies. He's the tough dude who punches people and drives fast cars. But there's another side of him. The side of him that that writes introductions to D&D books. The side of him that has his first Dungeons & Dragons character, the name of his first character, tattooed on his arm. He is the geek that everyone, you know, when he was probably in high school, he hit it. He probably never told anybody about it. He was probably the captain of the football team, but when then he'd go home and write fan fiction about fantasy stuff. <laughs> and that deserves an honorable that mention. That deserves an honorable mention. How about you, Luke? What's an honorable mention <sighs> for you? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Richard Garriott. Nice. Yeah, not only did he give us MMOs, Sucker bought his way to the moon. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> What did you do? I bought a ticket to go to the moon. What yeah. did you do today? So where'd, where'd you go on vacation? The moon. <laughs> you oh, you up. win. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I think those are both wonderful. And, and we could go on forever. We could bring up the guys from Penny Arcade. We could bring up the guys from Mythbusters. We could bring up so many. There's actually a uh, part of the reason that we got inspired by this to do this episode is the fact that there's there's a collection of little cards that somebody has created. It's called Geek Geek a Week cards, and you can get them in decks. And it just talks about these incredibly nerdy people, their accomplishments and their statistics, and just amazing little little well drawn, well thought out little cards. And these, you know, there's oh, uh, there's literally one a week, and they're still making the cards. That tells you how many geeks worth of of Let's just put it this way, of of merit, shall we say, are out there. <laughs> All right, so we could talk about many for a great long time, but you picked two. I picked two. Give me one of them. I went, I went with a very, very literary, very media-centric geekdom I when two. I picked my two. Huh. The, the first person that I brought up, because I, I can't mention anything geek without his name coming up somewhere in it, his name is Neil Gaiman. Aww. The man has his fingers literally in every aspect of geeky life. He creates books. He creates television shows. He creates comic books. He creates children's books. Literally, if there's something out there that we would enjoy, he's done it. He's the man who gave us Sandman. He's the man who gave us uh, American Gods, which recently celebrated a 10th anniversary. I I love Neil Gaiman. I have read his stuff ever since I picked up. I've I've been a long-standing fan of Terry Pratchett. I hadn't heard of Neil Gaiman at that point, but I love Terry Pratchett. I love Discworld, and so I picked up Good Omens, and since then I've had a love affair with this man's writing. I have read everything, including several of his children's books, which sit on my library even though I have no children. Okay, so in my office, in my library, there is a copy of instructions that my kids aren't allowed to touch kids book they're not allowed to touch it i bring it out maybe once a year maybe once or twice a year and read it to them just so that i can know 
that they are being raised correctly. <laughs> now, instructions, I, I literally went out and got instructions the very first day it came out. I happened to be working at a bookstore at the time. And so I had the woman in our children's department literally looking and scouring the shelves. Anytime she was about to put one away, she immediately was required to put one aside for me. She did, and oh my goodness, I I tore through it. I love the illustrations in it. I love just the message of going out on an adventure to end up coming home a better person. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love instructions. I love Graveyard Book. I love everything this man has ever written. He is, and and not only that, I mean, if you read his stuff, one, he's very talented, but two, you can't get away from the fact that he is a folklore geek. Oh my goodness. I don't this... think there's anybody who, who, there's just, he's got such an encyclopedic knowledge of folklore. I, I'm in awe. I would love to know what he knows and figure out how he was raised and, and what he did during his life that gave him such an ability, not just to know the folklore, but he knows the folklore. You know what I mean? It's like down deep level knowledge of what this stuff is really, really about. He has the the uncanny ability to just not only know it, but to insert it and create these worlds outside of the normal world. Like, it's just normal enough that you realize that this crazy stuff that's happening over here could be a part of our world. And it just fits seamlessly. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody who integrates the Fae and our world as well as he does. Absolutely, yeah. I I could not do this episode. I could not talk about geeky heroes without talking about Neil Gaiman, his writing, and his just his personality. The man raises bees in his backyard. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I just I think it's so cool to see somebody like Neil Gaiman, who clearly is completely sold out on his life. It's a weird life. Uh, he's well, I mean, a strange dude, but he is completely and utterly into what he is into. One of my goals in my existence will be to meet this man and to be able to just shake his hand because he's just a fascinating dude. Um, even every, every aspect of his life is interesting. Like the writing he does, the, the different stuff that he shows up. Luke, you and I both watched a video where an interview... <laughs> You knew I was going to mention it. Um, there's a moment where uh, Neil Gaiman is on stage being interviewed, and Adam Savage from Mythbusters is on the phone. Also and, a worthy possibility oh, for Geek Hero. Ab- absolutely. And Neil Gaiman asks Adam Savage to do his Gollum impersonation, singing I Will Survive. I'm sorry, like, my geek sensors were going freaking off the wall. That was That was pure bliss when that happened. Yeah. And yeah, and and I mean, you even you, when you throw in aspects of of his li- the rest of his life, when you start throwing in his relationship with Amanda Palmer, another incredibly talented, and you know, some people would probably like want to hurt me for calling her a geek, but she is. She makes a, an album of Radiohead songs on ukulele. It, um, I yeah, <laughs> there's no other word for that but geeky. But both of these two, just to, their their whole relationship was put together on Twitter, and every once in a while, you, you know, it's so cute because you're basically they're, they're sharing this moment with the whole world because both of them tour like crazy. They're all over different parts of the world, so you get moments like like "Hi, honey, I love you" over Twitter, and it's the cutest thing going. 
and it just shows that every aspect of their lives is is geeky and awesome and you know something that i aspire to very cool i absolutely think neil gaiman is a totally deserving geek hero all right i have before we move on to yours i want to get my second one out there just because i've been this is i, I this is the one i probably spend the most time thinking about i knew i had to talk about neil gaiman but the second person, I was really curious as to who I should bring up, who I should put on this pedestal. And then there was an article that was put out there in Forbes magazine that made it so clear to me who I had to bring up. Okay, Forbes that, magazine, you've, you've piqued my interest. Felicia Day. Okay. Felicia Day was recently featured in an article in Forbes talking about just her impact on the way we create content on the web. They the the title is a mogul in the making. Interesting. Uh, Felicia Day has been put out there as the person who has inspired an entire generation of people to get out there, put content on the web, and just create stories, create uh, movies, short films, and just put it out there on the internet. We're basically watching. The whole world is watching as this small little empire of media awesomeness is being built around her. And what really considered consisted of her friends making a movie on the internet. If for those of you who might not know who Felicia Day is, who you know, I'm surprised if you don't know who she is, and you're listening to a show about geekiness. But anyway, she started out with a a a, a I call it a, a web series called The Guild. And if you've ever played any kind of online game. You need to watch The Guild. This is your humor. This is the story of our lives. Because I've had those moments when you have the painful, awkward meeting with people that you play this game with. I've had these moments where, you know, this ridiculous amounts of drama based off of a video game. And and she makes it so funny and so well put together. And she, I don't, I don't remember if it's coming out right around the corner or if it already has come out. Um, if it already has come out, I need to find it immediately because she actually took a, a step away from the guild for a little bit and filming that to create a mini series uh, with the good people of Bioware to the Dragon Age series. She's created not related to the game, but set in the same place that the game takes place in. She has created her own character. She's worked with the company to create a separate storyline in the Dragon Age world, and I'm sorry, when you're taking time off from a web series about online gamers to go create another web series <laughs> to set place in a fantasy world from a video game, you deserve geek royalty. Fair. I can see that. You know, I think what I love about both of your choices are they're people who are totally willing to do what they do. I mean, can you imagine? You're an actress. Probably a hard gig. Oh, yeah? You know? And somebody comes along and says, Hey, I know, for the first major thing you're going to do that's going to get your name out there, why don't you do a web series? Oh, and we'll make that web series about gaming. Yeah. You know, that... But that's what she does. That's what she loves. And so she turned it into something. and. You know, that's that's awesome. And I think there's something very 
profound about this idea that we have something we're called to and we just do it. And people might well, think we're crazy, but that's okay. It's our thing. You know what I mean? And, and the thing that we have to pay attention to is the fact that these guys are very passionate about what they're doing because I, I'm pretty confident from what little bit you know I've been, has been revealed through the wonders of the internet about the lives of both of these people. They didn't exactly start out making huge truckloads of money. No. It was, it, you know, they started out like many people in any form of, of artistic life, you know, uh, any kind of job. They, they started out <laughs> with, you know, peanut butter and ramen noodle kind of situation and then just kept at it and kept plugging at it, making, you know, making great content and trying to get people to come and, and take a look at it, trying to get people to create books, you know, to, to come read their books, to, to watch their videos and, and just the hard work, dedication, and just passion that goes into putting this stuff together as they've been just absolutely blessed with the success. And, but it, it didn't just get handed to them. They worked at it and they, they were willing to just sacrifice everything to make that happen. Very cool. All right, Luke, I shared my two. What about your two? Well, you started with a, a literary figure. So I will too. Only mine is strange, such as I am. That's okay. Absolutely. Uh, My first person is not just my geek hero. This dude is my hero. I I I want to be him. And that is uh, a guy called George McDonald. Now, maybe you don't know. You You do. You do. I know George McDonald. (laughs) Uh, But for those who don't, uh, it is, say, about 1850 in Scotland. And there's a preacher who's doing his deal, a pastor of a church, and decides, you know what I want to do is I, I want to write some fantasy children's story. But you know what's so amazing about that? There was no such thing at the time. Fantasy was, we're so used to a, a developed fantasy genre, it wasn't there. There were fairy tales, but there was no fantasy. And he came along, and not only did he tell these amazing tales, I would, I would love him just for being the person who was able to bridge between fairy tales and fantasy. He was the one who, who forged that road. But he did it in a way also that really deeply, in ways that, frankly, I recognize I can't even understand most of the time, integrated his faith into his geekiness into his writing, into his storytelling, into his fantasy. And that, for me, man, I want to do that. (laughs) I want to, one, I want to know my faith so well, and then I want to know my skills so well that I can bring the two together in ways that are so cohesive and so... It feels to me like theology was always supposed to be told in a George McDonald story. Oh yeah. That's the way it was supposed to happen. Man, I want to be like that. I'm not, but I'd like to be. Well, he wasn't when he started either. Probably not. He did write an awful lot. <laughs> uh wrote an, a whole lot of books, uh some children's books, some um more for adults. But I just I love this idea and and I also love that he was a churchman. And I oh, have yeah. to believe there were a lot of people who looked at him like, 
What are you doing? Talking about goblins. You're a preacher. And yet for him, it was perfectly coherent. For him, it made sense, not just because he wanted to do it, but because it showed his faith. You know, that's why we do this show. We want to come along and say, hey, yeah, we're talking about dice. We're talking about gaming. We're talking about the fantasy world. We're talking about steampunk. And all of it reflects our faith. Mm-hmm. Like I said, maybe not quite as integrated as George MacDonald found, but we'll get there eventually. I'm convinced. You know, I, I've, I've discovered a lot of times with these, these heroes and everything like that, especially folks that we, we look to their writing, is that you realize that there's a lot of stuff that nobody ever sees. There's a lot of writing that doesn't get published. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of notebooks full of stuff that will never see the light of day that we don't know about. The stuff that brought them to where they are, where we look at them and say, wow, you're amazing. The, the stuff that brought them to that point. And, you know, if there's anybody out there who's like, wow, I, I really want to get into this. I really want to tell stories. I will, really want to create movies. I really, I want to get in and be a part of this. Just start doing it. That's all I got to say. Well, I think what, we, you're, what you're pointing out, though, is that this is a craft. Oh, yeah. And there's something incredibly godly about craftsmanship, about sucking it up for years and years and years and learning how to do the thing that God put you on this planet to do. Oh, yeah. well, mo there, most definitely. And what, I, I was going to save this because, you know, we were going to hold turn the gears and everything like that. But this, I, as soon as you say, you know, we appreciate, you know, a call to craftsmanship, I have to bring this up. Uh, there's, I can't wait for it any longer. I'm sorry. I need to bring up the fact that in Scripture, we have chapter upon chapter upon chapter spent talking about the building of the tabernacle. And one guy who got called to build it. And he gathered a handful of other guys and they built this. And they talked about each each piece and each bit of gear and what skins were used and all this stuff. It is building the house of God. And a lot of times we just talk about, okay, yeah, this is this is important and this is yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. This is four chapters of, you know, talking about, you know, golden lanterns and all sorts of fun things. No, this is God showing us that this is important. This guy was called to do this. And it wasn't necessarily easy. If you look at the materials that he had to gather, this wasn't stuff that, you know, he couldn't just go down to the hardware store and make it happen. He went out of his way. He crafted these things. He made it so they all fit together. Fast forward a lot of years, you can start, you can see the same thing in the building of the temple. And just craftsmen, craftsmen just from all over the place were called in. And the, the materials and the, the, the time and all this stuff to build something that was honoring to God. That is gorgeous. And that is beautiful. Sometimes it directly happens, like with guys like George MacDonald and who else, you know, the other people that, that Luke is going to mention. And even with people who, who, like I brought up, who aren't necessarily saying, I'm doing this to honor God. But in a way, it, you know, it, it is. Human. It is. Yeah, it's, it's what we were here. What we're here for? It's to it's, do stuff. It's the, it is the human story about putting something out there and just passionately striving forward for it. And that's why we wanted to do this episode because we wanted to show you guys that um, if if maybe you're out there and maybe you write stories. I started writing stories when I was in junior high. Somewhere I wish I still kept them, but 
there somewhere out in some kind of landfill there's <laughs> there's notebooks filled with my old stories that I wrote as a as a seventh grader that you know are are all part of me coming to where I am with my writing and I'm sure years from now I'll look at what I've ri- what I'm writing now and seeing how far I've progressed it's all part of that because telling stories is my passion if you're out there and you want to build something you want to put something out there you want to to craft something from the ground up just keep at it keep working at it because the way that people become geek heroes the way that people become uh heroes mentioned in scripture is because they work at it they are called to it and they will not stop because this is what they love to do can i tell you can i share before i get into my second as a way of transition absolutely uh a little bit of my own personal journey over the last, we'll say, 10 years. When I was a young man, and, and a younger man, how about that? That way I could <laughs> still, still be in the category of young man. My life was about aggressively setting and achieving goals. And I, you know, whatever it might have been, it was to be a pastor, to, to get my degree, to get married, to buy a house, to buy a car, to have kids, whatever it was. And I, I had to, at some point in my life, a few years back, stop and admit to myself that my aggressive pursuit of goals wasn't the smartest idea. See, I always was able to protect myself because most of my goals were spiritual things. And so I could justify my obsessive behavior by saying, well, this is God's calling for me. The problem was that I was doing it to the detriment of using all of the skills and all of the passions that God gave me. Mm. I was so interested in achieving the goal that I forgot what he put me on the planet to do. And God's put me on the planet. God's put every single one of us on the planet, not to just to do one thing. And so I stopped and I kind of looked at my life and said, okay, what do I need to be doing on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis to make sure my life's a little bit more balanced? And one of those things was I needed to make sure that I had ongoing creative work, right? Mike, you just described your creative work. You're a writer. You're a Mm. storyteller. That's not only what you love and what gets you excited, but that is also your gift to the world, to the people around you. You're also a pastor. I'm I'm not putting that aside. Mm -hmm. That's your ministry. That's your work. And I'm sure you love that just as much as you love writing but in terms of a a creative artistic passion for you it's writing for me it's cooking (laughs) i love to cook when i was just married my wife and i were going through that that time in your life that process where you got to figure out who does what just on a real basic day-to-day level because if one of you's got to take out the trash and if she thinks you're going to do it and you think she's going to do it you got problems okay (laughs) this is what being married at the beginning of a marriage is like. You have to deal with silly stuff like this. And we had had to work out who was going to cook. And I decided I wanted to. Problem was, I had no idea how. None. Seriously, like, I burned grilled cheese. Okay? At right about the same time, uh, a television show came onto the Food Network. And this crazy dude showed up at... The first episode I watched, it was all about how to make a baked potato. And dude (laughs) talked for 30 minutes passionately about how to make a baked potato. If you guys know anything about food TV, if you guys know anything about 
uh, cooking. You know who I'm talking about. It's Alton Brown. The mad scientist of cooking. Dude, I love him so much. I, you know, not only do, does my family have an emotional memory of first my wife and I, and then later my wife, myself, and the kids sitting down every week watching Good Eats together, but he taught me how to cook. He taught me. Nobody else, I didn't watch any of the shows, shows on the Food Network, thought all of the rest of them were silly, but there's one dude who could bring in the science and who could bring in and who could speak to me, a guy, and say, this is how you cook. He taught me my passion. And for that, you know, I can't, I, I can't thank him enough. But I, as I got to learn more about him, I realized, dude, this guy's amazing. Not a cook. He, he was a TV dude. He made commercials. <laughs> and he's at home one day, and he's watching probably Food Network. And he's like, this stuff sucks. I could make better food TV than this. Oh, wait, I don't know how to cook. So he took three years off and went to cooking school. That's calling. That's awesome. To have the the guts to say, I think I want to do something, and so I'm going to, to actually take the steps of faith required to go and do it. And there is no way in the world that he knows that this crazy show that's completely unlike any other show on food TV, on PBS, on any kind of cooking show is going to be a smash hit. But he believed that's what he was supposed to do, and so he went and he did it. I, well, I want to be like that. The the thing that I, I like about Alton Brown is the fact that, it, just like you mentioned, he went out to make a, t- uh, a cooking show like no one ever made before. And because he's making one that no one's ever made before, there's there's an inherent danger in doing that. Because anytime you get into any form of of commercial, you know, television, you you know, anything that you're trying to a product that you're trying to sell, people will always ask, you know, what is this like? Can I? Is there something that people are buying right now that I can compare it to? And and you know that he sat there in front of a, a bunch of network executives and said, "No, I'm going to explain what temperature to cook this at and and what that does to the product." And what what combination of seasoning affects the meat and how it does that and 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 go about the history of the spice before I even use it in a in a a, a recipe. And you just realize that there's a lot of people who are looking just for the recipe who hate his show. Oh, well, I'm sure. I have I have two brothers. One who passionately watches the Food Network trying to find more stuff. He loves to cook. He adores cooking. Hates Alton Brown. No way! <laughs> Come find your brother and beat him up. <laughs> he hates Alton Brown because he does all this other stuff. He's like, yeah, that's not interesting. And and if you're just going for the the pure and simple, mix this with this to make it taste like this, he's horrible. If that's what you're looking for, he's not the guy you're looking for. But if you want a guy who loves every aspect of cooking, every aspect down to which spoon you're going to use. You can look no other place than Alton Brown. You know, I think that there is, especially between Alton Brown and Neil Gaiman, we probably could figure it out for the other two as well, but, but for Alton Brown and Neil Gaiman, they have something that as geeks, we love. They have the why. 
Mm. They have the background, right? You know, when you're playing D&D and the players are playing, they don't have everything that the DM has. He knows what's the background. He knows what's going on. He knows the rest of the story. These guys know the rest of the story in their field. I absolutely believe that Neil Gaiman doesn't just throw stuff into his stories. He doesn't just decide, oh, well, this person's going to be a a ghoul, or this person's going to be a vampire, or whatever. He knows what they should be, because he knows how they've worked in history, how they've worked in other storytelling, what they mean psychologically, just like Alton Brown. He did, it's not just a recipe he tried out. He, he, he'll tell you down to the molecular level why it works. And that question of why, that's a geek question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, there's a certain level of passion that has to exist in you to even bother to figure out why. There's no pragmatism in why. Yeah, I think, I think part of the reason why I wanted to do Bible college and why I wanted to do seminary was because of that. Because I'm a geek, and there's something in my way down deep that says, I can't just know what. I have to know why. I can't, it's not enough for me just to know the creeds. I have to know why the creeds are the way that they are. It's not enough for me just to know, well, these are the things Jesus did. I have to understand why Jesus did those things. I'm not saying everybody should be that way, but that's how I am. And that's, I think it's a geek thing. I, I think in, in the realm of, of studying the Bible, I mean, it, it's imperative that we throw in that why. I, in fact, my, my college guys right now, I do lead a college Bible study. And they, there are t- when I first started with them, they got so furious with me every time I'd do this that I, I'd ask them a question. I'd say, what does this mean? And they'd give me an answer. And then I'd say, why? And I would, there would just be dead silence after that. And I said, I understand that you just said that answer because that's a Sunday school answer. That's what you're expected to respond when I ask that question. I want to know why you came up with that answer. And I, I think that's a, a thing that's missing in a lot of our, our personal studies with Scripture is, is not understanding the why. Why is this important? Why, why does this happen? Why, does this, why did he use this word and not this one? Why, is, you know, wh- why did God do this instead of this? Important questions to, to something that, that might seem so insignificant. But here, I'll, I'll do one that we just did recently in church. We were talking about the, the, the healing of the blind man. And, and Christ did this whole, I'm going to spit in the mud and rub, rub the mud in his eyes, and I'm going to send him to the pool to wash the eyes. Why? Why did that happen? Because there are plenty of other times in Scripture, there are plenty of times you can just make assumptions because he's God. There are plenty of times that you can just, you see in the stories that he can literally say, all right, you're healed. But with this man, he makes this whole pageantry of, I'm going to spit this in this mud. I'm going to rub it and I'm going to put it right in your eyes. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you, go and wash your face. When you start asking questions like that, you start digging into it. You start really trying to figure out what's the purpose of this thing. Because on the surface, it seems so simple. But then when you start asking why, you realize there's a level of depth and a level of, of craziness that is both confusing and wonderful and just absolutely worth doing. What you just said, though, it's key. It's confusing and wonderful. 
the there is a certain degree of humility that is required to ask the question why. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because when you ask the question why, the first thing you have to do is admit, I don't know. And for those of us who are raised in, at least in evangelical Christianity, I don't know, generally, is not a choice. You, you, we're kind of taught that you're supposed to know, and if you don't know, then you need to find out. Oh, at, There at, are at, answers to every question in the Bible. As as a, a group, as a, a group that is has been referred to as Christians, we are terrified of the words, I don't know. Absolutely. We, because we think that it's either a, a knock against ourselves, or worse yet, a knock, a, knock against a, a knock against God, if we can't say that, yes, this is the answer. And that's not the way it is at and all. And yet the truth is, uh, you know, for those of us who, who do this professionally, we all recognize all the time that we don't know. Oh, yeah. If you think the two of us ever get together without having an argument about which of the which position is correct, oh, oh my of goodness. course we do. But you know, we bear some of the responsibility as well, because it is fun to stand in the pulpit and speak in such a way that makes it seem like we know, <laughs> <laughs> and that we know without a shadow of a doubt. You know, for me, accepting doubt, and I don't mean doubt, oh, I don't trust God. No, that's not what I mean. I mean doubt, I don't trust my knowledge of God. There you go. W- was a huge step forward in my own spiritual journey. No, that, it, there's a reason why every time I go into a study, every time I start with a new group of people, the very first thing that I say is, test me on everything I say. I work very hard to be accurate. I work very hard to know what I'm talking about. But I'm human. There will be times when I don't get a lot of time to study. There will be times when I'm just exhausted and I might say something stupid. I mean, even even when it comes to things like this podcast, you know, the very first time I talked about, you know, being alone and feeling isolated. And I said it was Ezekiel. It's not. I was going for Elijah. I make mistakes. We all do. So I tell these people that I'm sitting with, I said, listen. If you think I'm doing something wrong, check me. And I promise you, every time I've done that, there have been people who come out of that saying, I can't believe you're giving me that power. Because they're used to overbearing, just shove it down your throat Christianity. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I struggle with this as much as you do. I wrestle with God as much as you do. I, I, I can't get away from the fact that I'm just as human as anyone else. And as ridiculous as it sounds, that takes a lot of humility. Because it, when you're put in a position where people look to you and people ask you questions as, a, as an authority on the subject, it takes a lot of humility to look at them right in the eye and say, I'm just as broken. I'm just as lost as you are right now. I have no idea what this means. Yeah, it does. And I think, though, that geek Christianity... I like this this term. Geek Christianity oh, demands yeah. it. Demands it that every single person, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a person in the congregation, ask the questions why. Now, I want to explain something, though. I don't mean that we deny our belief, but that we question the road that we get to that belief. So that we can say with Absolute faith 
I believe this. And still say, I'm not entirely sure why yet. That's that's a, a faith position that I'm I'm comfortable having. And I want to know why. I want to work to understand that. But the faith comes first. And then we figure out the answer. Yeah, I... I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to to get a hold of to grasp and I think more often than not it's the people who who really love God who get lost in that idea. I've met a lot of people who don't believe in God who I say, you know, I I I don't know. There's this is this is confusing, but it, it, you know, based on everything I tie into scripture, this is how I come to this idea, this 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 is how I see this truth coming out. It, based on scripture, because again, we're not just flying by the seat of our pants. Both of us will, and anybody who you know has a right to say anything will base what they say on scripture. And so you go back to that, and you work at it, you you toil over it, and you know, you know you come up with an idea, and that that idea, you you come to that that place in your faith where you just you stand strong, you stand firm, but at the same point, you realize that there might be stuff you don't know yet. To stand firm and yet still be able to be teachable. And I think that's the hardest part about it. And I, I, I think that actually, if, if we can get, you know, to, to, you know, get this term that we're apparently coining right here, this geek faith, the danger that I see in, in, in geekiness is this idea of I've studied this so thoroughly and I've, I've killed everything. I have just torn through books. I have studied this to the bone and I know the answer. And you over there, you over there who have this other opinion, all you have to do is go to an internet forum to find out what happens when you get confronted with an opinion that doesn't match up with yours. The, the natural geek tendency is to say, you are wrong, and you are useless, and your mother does terrible things. And, and, and that's not what this is about. This is about the, the, the passion for knowledge, the passion to get it right, the passion to put something out there that is honoring to God and all the ways that that kind of manifests itself. That's what this is about. This is about, about passion that is directed towards honoring God. Oh, Mike, I think that's a, a good last word. Folks, we appreciate you being with us, uh, listening to us rant and rave to talk about the people who are our heroes. We want to know who are your heroes? Who are your geeky heroes? Whose lives inspire you to do better at your craft and to understand your faith we've we've gone through a lot of 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 what our geeks are but at the same point luke and i both picked writers you know luke and i both picked you know people who are important to us we realized as from the very first episode we were talking about the fact that there are different types of geek that and even the people that we selected they're completely different types of geek even the writers that the two writers that we picked are completely different people. So we want to know what is what is your geek pride? What is your geek hero? Who do you aspire to be like? Because there's so many different sides to this. There are so many different stories, so many different types of geek, and every one of them, I promise you, has at least one person that is put forth as as uh just that that image of what we aspire to be. That's 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 a goal. That's an honorable thing. And we want to celebrate these geeks. We want to expose each other to different geeks. Because 
you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't know about. We're just, talk, just talking about the whole aspect of humility. There's whole aspects of this world that we do not understand because we've never been put in the same situation as that. We've never, we've never been forced to look at these things. We've never, uh, stepped out of our comfort zone and said, all right, I want, I, I'm not a cook. I'm horrible at cooking. And, and so Alton Brown, I appreciate the, the, the geekiness of him, but he doesn't really connect with me as much as he does to Luke. But at the same point, you know, it, I, I watch the show. I, I appreciate what's going on. There's a level of, of learning and growing that happens when we share each other's heroes and we learn from each other. And that's awesome. And that's what I want this show to be about. Geeks uniting in a, in just a just celebration of all things nerd. And to help us celebrate, uh, what we want you to do is we want you to head over to two places. We want you to head first to our website, GameStoreProfits.com. From there, you'll find what you need to subscribe to us on iTunes, and then head over to Facebook if you're on Facebook, and search us out, Game Store Profits, like us, and get to talking. Get in there, get in that community. It's it's small and starting to build. We want you there. We want to have uh, conversations together, talk about our faith, talk about our geeky passions. And uh, as, as always, if there's something that you want to hear from us, if you, there's a topic that you want us to talk about, segments you want us to create we we want this to be about you guys not just us ranting on on our little computers here we want to hear from you guys go to the website go to the fan page tell us what you want us to talk about and we will be happy to do that because we're here for you guys all right mike how can folks find out more about what you're doing Uh, out there right now uh, i do have my website that we do have linked up on game store profits uh, it is tinkerverse.wordpress.com. Uh, it's not as regularly updated as my old website was because, well, I just don't have that much stuff to update all the time with regularity. But I talk about just the steampunk community. I talk about what I've been writing, and I try to share awesome stuff that I find that people might find useful. Uh, I'm also on all over Twitter. Um, you can find me at Shadow of Cyrano is my Twitter tag or whatever they're called. And I, I'm also on, as one of my fictional characters, uh, Von Klockwerk is also on Twitter. How about you, Luke? You can find me at 52weeksofgeek.com, where right now there is a picture of a glorious, glorious piece of pork that spent 16 hours in my smoker becoming <laughs> amazing. You can also find me at guyscanread.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter also at Luke Navarro. And as always, we are just so thankful that you are with us, and we want to remind you that God is the game master, and no matter how those dice fall, the game plays on. <laughs>